Amen. Thank you, Roland. Thank you, Josh. It's a real uh, joy to be back with you here in the evening and to be sharing in our Pattern series. For those of you who have just joined us, we've been working our way through a series that we've called Patterns, and this series has been about establishing those patterns of behavior in our lives that set us up to be in the best possible space we can be with God, to be best used by Him, and to really grow healthy habits in our lives. And we've, we've done a lot of work in this series, and, and this week I get to pick up the topic of service as a pattern, as a discipline, as something to make a part of our lives. And, and to be very honest, uh, this, this kind of is a church leader's dream, to get to preach on service, you know. Uh, we really love all of you to be serving in the church, and... Um, Thing is, if that was all I was going to say about service this evening, I would do you a deep disservice. And, uh, and we would really miss the heart of what it means to have a pattern of service in our lives. And I think sometimes as we hear the, the word service, um, we have a couple of misunderstandings about it, uh, as, particularly as we look at service in the church. I think sometimes we can think of service in the church and we have this misunderstanding that we have to, that it's something that we do as like a work. It's something that we, that we add to our faith. It's this, uh, it's this idea that I, I either do service for two reasons. One, I feel guilty not doing it and I feel like it's the good Christian thing to do or, or I don't know if there's anyone else who's going to do it and so I'm just going to step up and do it um, because I feel obligated to do it. On, on the other side of that, there is the idea that I want to look like a really great Christian, and so I'm going to keep adding all these teams to my life until I've got no space to do anything at all, but I feel I look like I'm really serving in the church, right? That's, that's, um, that's unfortunately a misunderstanding of what service in the church is all about. The other side of that coin is we, we try and correct that, and we say, well, you know, service should be spirit-led, and, and that's a wonderful thing. That's not a misunderstanding. That's where the heart of service should be. The problem is we can kind of, we can, we can get that wrong a little bit as well, because spirit-led service can sometimes become over-spiritualized. You know, so if we're cleaning up in the kitchen, I say, hey, Chad, why don't you help me wash the dishes? And he says to me, Brad, I'd just like to go and pray about that for 20 minutes, and I'll get back to you. You know, you kind of miss the heart of what service is all about. Chad's not like that. I'm just picking on him because he knows we'll be cool like that, right? But sometimes we can over-spiritualize trying to be spirit-led about some things that should actually just be the natural response of our hearts because that's who we are as people, is we're, we're servant people, and we're here to serve one another. Sometimes and another way we can, miss, we can get spirit-led service wrong is instead of actually being led by the spirits, we, we can get led by our feelings, and, and so we, we say, and it sounds really spiritual, right? You know, I, I just approach you, you know, I've been thinking about this thing. Would you, you, would you be willing to, to step up and serve in this area? And you're like, oh, I'll go and pray about it. And I come back and I've, I, you know, I just felt from the Lord that this is not the right thing for me to be doing right now. And that may be very true, right? We don't want to knock spirit-led service because that's, that's what we're striving for. But often what we need to be careful for is that what we call spirit-led service isn't actually feelings-based service. Actually, I just don't really feel like it, and my, my emotional response to that idea is not very warm, and so I just don't know if I'm going to do it or not, right? So we want to make sure we avoid that. That's the second misunderstanding about service in the church, that we just want to get out the way right up front. The third one is this, that service is, the pattern of service in particular is definitely not just limited to the church, right? We're not just trying to instill in you serving in the church. We're trying to talk about what it means to have a pattern of service as a lifestyle in our lives. And if it was just in the church, you'd be missing out on 90% of the places where you need to be serving, right? So I, just, I, wanted to get that, I wanted to get that out of the way right up front because the pattern of service is none of those things, 
Right? Last week, Roland did a really excellent job of unpacking the pattern of submission and what it looks like to live in submission in our lives. And, and he made this statement, and I checked with him this week, right? So he really said this. He said, biblical submission at its core is primarily about the condition or the attitude of our heart towards one another. Right? Biblical submission at its core is really about the condition or the attitude of our heart towards one another. And we saw that when we have that heart attitude to one another, what happens is we begin to place ourselves beneath other people and we begin to seek their good before our own. That, that's really what the heart of submission produces in us. And, and I want to say this evening, as we talk about service, the pattern of service comes out of exactly the same heart space. The pattern of service comes out of exactly the same heart space where we're placing ourselves beneath others and we seek to, for their good before our own. That's where the pattern of service comes from. And, and I want us to look at a story from the Gospel of John as we begin to open this up tonight where Jesus exemplifies this pattern for us and he kind of sets up what it looks like to live in this way. So we're going to go to John chapter 13. This is uh, the last supper that Jesus is busy having with his disciples it's just before he goes through to the cross. We pick up the story in verse 2. We're actually going to go through to about verse 15. We're going to skip three verses. You're welcome to go and read them um, in your own time. I encourage you to do that. It says this in verse 2 of John 13. It says, During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, right? Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. All right. And then it says this, and he laid aside his outer garments, he took off his cloak, and he put a towel around his waist. He tied it there, and he poured a water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he'd wrapped around him. And then he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Are you going to wash my feet as well? And Jesus answered him, he said, what I am going to do now, you won't understand. But afterwards, you will understand. A real nice cryptic response from Jesus, right? Simon's not really sure what's going on. And so he says to him, you, you shall never wash my feet. This is just, this is a terrible idea, Jesus. This is not going to happen. Jesus answered him and said, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And so Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then don't only wash my feet, but also wash my hands and my head as well. Just do, do the whole thing if we're going to go there. We carry on with the story a couple of verses later when Jesus is finished washing his disciples' feet. It says this, when he had washed their feet and put back on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done, to you, done for you? We know that they don't yet, right? And he says this, so he explains it for them. Verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right because that's who I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Right. Now, I'm sure many of you will, will have heard this story before. I want us to notice just a couple of things about the story. Remember in the first, like right there in verse 3, I think we saw this. It said, Jesus says, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was about to go back to God. That's the, that's the intro to the story. Right? It says Jesus was very aware of his identity at this moment. 
He was very aware that all authority on heaven and on earth had been given to him, that he was God, and he was about to ascend back to heaven to be with God, and he was very aware of it. And then he takes off his clothes, his outer garments, his jacket, he puts on a towel, and he abases himself to serve his disciples. And, and I want to I help you catch just how radical an act this is, because I don't think we really appreciate it, because uh, I've never really, apart from at my wedding, had anyone else wash my feet, right? That's not really a thing we do very often today. And you know, in Jewish culture, the washing of someone's feet was a task so menial that there were even rules about which slaves were allowed to do it. If you were a Jewish slave, the washing of your master's feet was beneath you. You actually had some standing. You had some right. You didn't have to wash his feet. That was only for Gentile slaves or non-Jewish slaves. There's a case that's recorded in the Jewish writings where a rabbi's mother took her son to court because he refused to let her wash his feet. So demeaning did he consider it to let his mother do that for him. And, and this, this is the final thing that I thought was really interesting. In all of Jewish and Greco-Roman history, right? The history of the Roman and Greek empires and their times. There is no other recording of a superior washing the feet of his subordinates. It has never, ever happened before in history. This act is totally unprecedented. It's, it's so radical. That's why Peter objects, right? Because that's what he does. He says what everyone else is thinking. He can't even conceive that the king of heaven is going to kneel down into the dirt, take off his like, cloak, wrap a towel around himself, and begin to wash his dirty feet. It, he cannot conceive it, right? He's, he's also the one that had the revelation that this is the Christ, the son of the living God. He, he, it cannot, he can't, so he says, it, it just can't happen. And then, and then Jesus explains it to him, and so he says, well, please, then wash me. And, and Jesus comes out of this thing, and he says, I want you to understand, what I've just done for you needs to set the standard for who you are. This needs to become how you live your lives. Right? For I have given you an example that you also should do, just as I have done for you. This thing should characterize the way in which you live as my disciples. Here's the thing I really want us to catch out of the story. Right? There's a lot in there. Here's the thing I want us to catch. That the pattern of service is about an identity. It's not about whether we do or don't do something. It's about the, the natural inclination of our hearts. It's about who we are. It's about who God has made us to be. It's not what we do and don't do. Which is why I'm not standing here to call you or to fill all the gaps of service that we have in the church. It's about understanding who we are. Do you know if you read through the New Testament, of all the authors in the New Testament, Paul, Timothy, James, John, Luke, uh, James, John, Peter, and Jude, all start their letters off to the churches by identifying themselves, and they say, I, Paul, a servant of Christ. I, Jude, a servant of the Lord. I, Peter, a servant. You know that they actually use the Greek word doulos? Actually, it doesn't mean servant. That's a, like, that's a euphemism that we use in English because what it actually means is slave, bond slave, a slave who is bonded to a master. Right? Paul say, I'm, I'm a slave to the Lord. We have another Greek word for servant. It's called diakonos. Right? They don't use that word. None of them use that word. All of them use the word doulos, slave. Right? That's their identity. That's who they are. 
See, the pattern of service in our lives has to be the manifestation of our identities as servants. Does that make sense? If we are going to have a pattern of service in our lives, if we are going to serve one another, that needs to come out of our understanding that we are intrinsically, at our core, created to be servants. If it's not that, we're going to get ourselves stuck into duty-based works or self-serving glory. And we're going to miss the heart of what God is calling us to. It needs to become the inclination of our heart. It's not about an obligation, nor is it a religious opportunity for self-glorification. It's something that comes forth from a heart that places the needs and the concerns of others before its own. It's deeply selfless. It doesn't require acknowledgement or praise. It simply delights in serving others and making their lives easier. And I want to I say this tonight. If our service doesn't look like that, It's actually we've got a heart issue, not a service issue. And we need to be asking God to deal with the selfishness in our hearts before we try and discern whether or not we should be taking on a particular role of service or not. Because if we haven't dealt with the selfishness, then even as we try and grapple with this thing before the Lord, it's going to travel through the selfishness that we're carrying inside of us. It's going to get tainted. That's the heart of what I want to share with us tonight. I want to unpack that in, in three ways um, as, as we go. So I don't want to just leave it there because there's some practical stuff that I think is helpful for us as we work this out. And so we're going to look at three other areas as we go through this together this evening. We're going to look at the greatness of service and how wonderful it is and why God has given it to us. We're then also going to look at the things that come against service, the enemies of service. And then we're going to talk about how we actually begin to live out this pattern of service in our daily life. All right? So, so let's jump in jump into that. And I think this thing, service, it's a beautiful God-given thing. And and it's one of those things that I think has got a bit of a bad rep. And I think the the true heart and the meaning of what service is supposed to be about has become a little tainted and a little bit lost. And the way in which we think about it now is a little bit different to how God immediately or originally wanted us to think about it. And and I thought about doing a little poll, but I'm not going to do that because I think we might take a little long if we do that. But if I asked if I asked you what, you what words and thoughts came to your mind when someone asks you to serve, I would be very surprised if the majority of us didn't have the words tired, busyness, limited capacity, not really sure if I can, as words foremost in our mind when someone asks us that question. Similarly, for those of you who've ever asked people to serve and to be a part of something, I don't know how many of you would, would have the, with the idea of, of, of begging, of, of having to plead, of actually, we're getting a little bit desperate because if this thing doesn't get met, we're going to be in a bit of trouble. We're actually, we're getting a little bit worried that we're not going to make it. And I think when we talk about service today, those who are being asked to serve feel like they're being asked to shoulder a burden. Would you, would you just carry this thing for me? And those that are doing the asking feel like we're trying to extort one more favor from someone who doesn't really want to give it to us. And we all feel a little bit awkward in the process. Right? I want to say tonight, that idea, that understanding of service is totally unbiblical, completely ungodly and unchristian. It's unbiblical, ungodly, and unchristian. It's not how God intended us to think about service. Right? Both parties have the wrong idea of what service is all about. 
I want to share with you um, a biblical story. And for those of you who are here last week, you'll remember the story. Roland touched on it in his message on submission. And, uh, and it talks about, and Jesus redefines for us in this story what service in the kingdom is all about. And the story is in Mark chapter 10. It picks up about halfway through Mark chapter 10, runs through to Mark 45. Right? And, it, and it's a story that starts with Jesus and his disciples. And, and I'm going I'm to tell you the story, and I'll encourage you to go home and read it for yourself. We're going to land into the end of the story uh, on the screen at the end. Right? But Jesus and his disciples, they're walking along the road to Jerusalem, and suddenly a man runs up and, and meets him there. And he asks Jesus this question. He says, Jesus, I've heard that you're a great teacher. What do I need to do in order to inherit eternal life? And, and so Jesus quizzes him a little bit, and he says, well, how do you understand it? And he, and he shares some things. Jesus says, you know, you've actually done, you've done really well. There's one thing that you lack, though. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to sell everything that you have, give it away to the poor, and then come and follow me. And I'm of course, you know, if we had to hear that, just like this young man, he gets a little bit despondent. It wasn't really the answer he was hoping for. He was kind of hoping for a quick fix to get in there, right? And Jesus sets the bar really high, and he, and he walks away, and he leaves. But he's not the only one who's a little bit despondent because the disciples are standing around. They've just watched Jesus and this guy have this encounter, and they're also starting to just get a little bit concerned, Right? They're beginning to parry out a little bit because they didn't really expect Jesus to set the bar quite so high. And so Peter, classic Peter, right? he says what everyone's thinking. He blurts out and he's like, but Jesus, you know, surely for us, we've left everything to follow you. Right? I mean, surely we're going to be okay because you know, we've really done that. And so Jesus says to him, you know what, Peter? It's true. Everyone who leaves father or mother, brother or sister or job, whatever you've left behind will surely be repaid that in the kingdom. And then he ends that with this little teaser, and he says this, at right at the end, he says, but many, Pete, catch this, many of those who are first will be lost, and many of those who are now lost will be first. And, and so they're beginning to kind of think about that, and Jesus decides to mix it up a little bit more, and then he says to them, listen, guys, what's going to happen now? We're busy walking, and we're going towards Jerusalem. I want to tell you what's going to happen when I get there, All right? And actually, I'm going to get arrested, and they're going to put me on trial, and they're going to fake some evidence. And, uh, and I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And they're going to bury me in a tomb, but I promise three days later, I'm going to rise again. And that, you know, I don't know if any of you have ever been in a conversation where someone that you've known and loved just tells you that they're going to die. It's kind of an awkward moment to be in, right? And, and that kind of just ends the conversation for a while. Everyone's just feeling a little bit awkward. are not really sure what's going on and, and where do we go from here. And they're trying to work out what Jesus has been saying and, and how that needs to work. And so, so James and John, they, they're brothers, right? And so they, they get together and they, they have a little think. Now, Jesus is going to die. This is quite significant. We're like, we're just making sure about our eternal destiny. We check that out. So they sneak up to Jesus. They have a little word on the side. And they're like, listen, Jesus. And I, and I love this, right? I, I really love this. Um, this is how they start their conversation. Teacher, we want to ask you to do for us whatever we ask. That's like just, just a little presumptuous. Don't you think? A little bit cocky to go up to who you know is God, right? You've had that revelation. He's the king of heaven. He's the author of the universe. And you just kind of walk up, Jesus, like, and we're just about to ask you, would you mind just guaranteeing that you're going to do it before we ask it? Is that okay? She's like, well, guys, it's not really how it works, right? So, so then they elaborate, and they say, well, we know that you've just told us that you know, you're going to die and you're going to rise again. Well, can we ask, when you, when you go into your glory, when you go into your kingdom, would it be okay if, like, we got to sit on either side of you at the table, 
You know, because there's going to be lots of tables. There's going to be the adult table and the heroes table and the really, really cool people table with Jesus. And then, you know, everyone else who's in the... Would it be okay if we, if we sat at your table and, and, you know, just next to you? And, and you know, the funny thing is, the first thing we, we, we get in Mark's account is that when they say this, the other disciples get bleak. Right? Because you know what they're thinking? How could you ask Jesus such a terrible thing? How are you so self-minded and selfish? Actually, they're like... Man, they've just called shotgun. I didn't know we could do that. <laughs> Rats, you know, I like, really wanted that. And Jesus hears what's going on with James and John, with the other disciples, and he has one of these moments. He's like, okay, all right, we all just need to stop walking for a moment. We need to bring it in. Okay, guys, those of you in a sports team know what this is like. Um, your team gets a little bit out of hand. All right, guys, just come in. We're going to have a little team huddle. Everyone link arms. We're going to have a little chat. Because right, I think you guys have missed what I've been trying to communicate about following me and what it's all about. Right? And then he says these words. And this is where we're going to pick up from the text. Jesus called them to him and he said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. You need to be different to the way in which the, everyone else rules. Right? It doesn't work the same in the kingdom. I tell you this, Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first, whoever wants to sit at my table, right, must be the slave of all. And catch this, because not even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served, but to serve. And I gave my life as a ransom for many. See, his disciples have just been fighting about how to obtain recognition in the kingdom of God. And Jesus puts it out there for them. He says, guys, here's what I want you to know. And this is a beautiful moment because he redefines in this moment what service in the kingdom is all about. Right? He says, guys, I want you to know that greatness in the kingdom, unlike the rest of the world, it's not about who you know. It's about who you serve. Greatness in the kingdom, it's not about who you know. It's about who you serve. Jesus, in this moment, he redefines service from being some menial labor that you undertake begrudgingly to a gateway to greatness in the kingdom of God. Right. Service is no longer this menial chore that we do because we have to, because we feel obligated. But it's the very way to greatness. It's, it's the way, if, if you want to sit at Jesus' table, then you need to become a slave to all. You need to give your life for the sake of others. If you desire to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servants. The way to get there is to become a servant, to be a servant in who you are. We're going to have a little very mark moment here, right? This is not all. If you order now, there is extra, right? Not only is service the gateway to greatness in the kingdom, but it's, one of the, it's the one thing that will create in you the fruit of humility in your life. Service will create humility in you like nothing else can because it's such an elusive thing to strive for. If we try and, and work towards being humble, inevitably there's some form of pride that's working its way through our hearts. But when we make genuinely helping others through service just a part of our lives, our lives naturally begin to produce humility and we begin to destroy our sin of pride and ego. It just happens. It's just a byproduct. 
of service. That's the greatness of service. It, it is the way to greatness in the kingdom. It's the thing that Jesus desires of us. If you want to aspire to something, aspire to be a servant, to give your lives for the sake of others. It will create humility in you, and ultimately you will soar up for yourself rewards in heaven that you will access one day. But unfortunately, if you go after the greatness of service, you will come up against the enemies of service which are found in our flesh. Right? in our sinful nature that lives in us. And, and I guarantee you we're going to encounter a real resistance to this thing. And I want to read you a quote from, from Richard Foss. I really don't like reading quotes. I must be honest. I do my very best in sermons to avoid them. But uh, sometimes a guy just says something so well that you can't help but uh, repeat it. He says this. He says, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms these desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service. It strains, it pulls for honor, for recognition, and so it devises subtle, religiously acceptable means to call attention to the services it's rendered. I don't know if you found that to be true, if you had to honestly look at your life. I know for me that's, that's a real battle, right? It's, it's so hard for us to consistently do something without honor. It's so hard for us to consistently do something without being overlooked. That's why we have thank yous at the end of every year at church, right? We don't want to overlook anyone. We want you to know that you're honored for the service that you do. Maybe there are many of you here in the evening service who, like me, were born into the millennial generation, right? or those of you who are born after us in the post-millennial generation, this is, this is very real for us. I'm going to look a little bit this way because you guys are with me on this. Right? People call us entitled. I don't know if you've ever heard that description of the millennial generation. I think it's, it's usually quite true. Do you know how hard entitlement battles to have itself overlooked? Do you know how it strains against that? If... We, we have become, as a, as a generation, we've become obsessed with being recognized for what we have done. I think, as I was thinking about this, I think that's what social media really is. It's not a way to connect with friends. It's a way to find recognition. It's a way to find recognition that we so desperately crave. I'll tell you a funny story. As I, w I was doing some research on this, right? All this research. It was a very quick moment of research. I went on to Instagram.com. I logged in with my account that I haven't used in about 10 years, and I did a search for the hashtag worship. You know how many posts I found? Over 4 million. I did a search for the hashtag worshiper. I found 81,800 posts. What on earth are we doing if we are worshiping our king and just pausing, hey, I'm just going to take a selfie, hashtag worship, hashtag worshiper, hashtag worshiping Jesus. What, what, does Jesus not know that? Why, why do you need to put that up on Instagram? Right? Because we so desperately crave recognition. We want people to like our photo, to see this image of ourselves that we've created. Guys, the culture that we live in today is so incredibly self-centered. It's so self-centered, we often don't even notice it anymore. It's just what it is, right? Everything in our culture glorifies us. 
Even the worldview of our culture. How many of you have heard the word postmodernism? Right? Anyone heard that word? Right? We won't talk about what it means, but I'll tell you this. Postmodernism takes even truth, the thing that used to be the objective standard that we measured everything against, says actually truth's about you. It's about your perception of truth. It's what you feel is true that's actually true. Everything in our culture glorifies us and centers around us as the individual. It's all about us. Every advert that you see, every, every um, sitcom that you watch, every program that you watch, it all feeds into this idea that you are the center of your universe. It's everywhere. It's the biggest enemy that we will face. And it's the biggest enemy to the pattern of service in our lives. Which is why Richard Foster carries on. He says this. He says, if we starkly refuse to give in to this lust of our flesh to be recognized, to be appreciated, to be honored, we will crucify it. And every time we crucify the flesh, we crucify our pride and our arrogance. That's our call, guys. That's our call as we, as we battle the selfishness of our culture. As we seek to live out in the identity of a servant, we will constantly battle the selfish desires of our flesh. And each time we refuse them, we drive a nail into our pride and into our arrogance. And the more nails we eventually drive in, the freer we become to be the servants that God actually intended us to be. Right? And guys, I, I, want, I want to say this because I know I speak for myself as well in this. This pattern of sin can become so entrenched in our lives. Sometimes we don't notice it. Often we don't notice it. But we actually need to do some serious spiritual work to deal with it and to process it. It's a journey that we need to go on together. We're not going to solve it in one night. I'm not going to say one prayer and suddenly it's going to be fixed. Right? We're going to need to journey it out together. And I want to encourage you, if this is something you've recognized in yourself, you've seen it before, and God's highlighted it to you and you've been processing it, won't you come and just choose to journey with someone tonight? So I'd like, I recognize this thing I'm carrying. Won't you come and walk with me? And we can journey it out together. We want to do that with you. I want to, um, I want to begin to bring this towards a close. And I was going to, I was going to share the, um, the story of the, uh, the Good Samaritan. Right? You, guys, you guys know the story of the Good Samaritan. Right? Anyway, basically, there's a guy, there's a Jewish man. He's injured, by, attacked by robbers on the side of the road. Three men walk past. Two people are leaders of the faith that he's a part of. They see him, they cross over to the other side and they carry on walking. The last guy is his natural enemy, right? It's like going back to apartheid South Africa and having a white man injured on the side of the road and having a black man walk up to him. And he sees him and he stops. And he takes him, he bandages his wounds, he takes him to the local inn, in our days a hospital, and he puts him up and he says to the hospital, you cover his expenses. I'll cover his expenses. You just look after him, and I'll be back in a couple of days in case he's overrun his ball. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. There's a couple of things that, that I think we need to take out of that story. Right, and, and you can go and read it in Luke chapter 10 from verses 25 to 37 if you want to read it for yourself. I encourage you to do that. But this, was, this wasn't something that the Samaritan planned as he was walking down the road. He hadn't, you know, it wasn't in his diary, 10 o'clock, walk to Jericho, 11 o'clock, help guy on the side of the road who was injured, 12 o'clock, carry on with life, right? He, he had stuff to do. 
He had important things that he needed to do, but it just happens, and he responded out of who he was to help the man that he saw. It also, it was, it was costly. It wasn't free, it wasn't cheap. He didn't get to go up to the inn and say, well, put it on my medical aid, right? And my medical aid will cover it. It's all good. He, he actually, he probably had a lot of better things that he needed to do, but it cost him time, it cost him money, it cost him resources. But he gave it willingly. He didn't take a five-hour prayer time to just process with the Lord whether or not he should help this person. It was a spontaneous response out of who he was. He helped a man who was his natural enemy. And he helped him anyway. Because it didn't matter. To God it created him to be. Right at the end of the story, after Jesus asked the man, he says to the man, now, which of the three would you say was a neighbor to the man attacked by bandits? And the man replies, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, yes, I want you to go and do the same. It's the call that we carry to really love one another, to put others ahead of ourselves. I want to land this, and, uh, and as I do that, perhaps uh, I can ask the team to come and join me on stage. I want to land this just by telling you about some of the examples where I've seen this worked out in this body, right? Because, because there are many of you here who are really walking in this, and it's an incredible blessing to me. I'm a part of a, a Musenberg leadership team, and um, we have some wonderful people on that team. One of those guys lives, lives quite far out of this, like out of Meadowridge area, probably a good 15, 20 minute, or 25 minute drive really, when there aren't roadworks on the road, right? For the last, I think seven, eight years, there've been roadworks on the road. It takes them almost an hour to get here. We have Musenberg leadership meetings at seven o'clock in the morning. He gets there. He's early, almost every time, right? He then goes from our seven o'clock leadership meetings to be a director at his company in Century City, where he spends most of his day when he's not traveling around to different countries in Southwest Africa. Then he comes back. He's involved in, I don't know, like a hundred different ministries here at the church. He does almost everything. If you can think of it, he does it. We're running a course in Musenberg. I send out a message to our core Musenberg group asking if anyone's available to help me set up for the course. Right? It's about a 40-minute commitment once a week. Pop through. If you live in the area, you pop through to help me set up some chairs and stuff. His first response, Brad, I'm there. You know? There's just this selfless heart to even though I, I'm like actually, I'm like a really important guy in my sphere, I'm prepared to do the most menial thing. I'll come put our chairs with you for a course. Another one of our elders um, was uh, away out of town for business. We had an elders meeting. We have elders meetings on Tuesday nights. And uh, he drove four hours with what turned out to be a very injured shoulder to come and be at the elders meeting. After the elders meeting, he went home. He got up really early in the morning and he drove four hours back to the place he was at so that he could be at an eight o'clock meeting the next day. Because he wanted to serve this church and the people he'd been called and elected to serve. I've had the privilege of, of leading um, our young adult ministry for a while. Guys, I, I really love being on that team. And I, those of you on that team, please like, don't, don't let your heads overinflate at this point, right? But we will, we will go through a meeting. There'll be a collection of responsibilities that need to get done. Do you know the guys fight for who's gonna get to do what? It's like fantastic, it blesses my heart. Because right, they're so eager to just be there and to serve. I was chatting to Roland and Nicole 
as I was preparing this message. They were telling me about a young lady who goes to the forge. Roland, is there anything I can do to help? No, don't worry, we've got everything sorted. So what does she do? Instead of milling around, she goes, finds a spot in the kitchen, finds some dirty dishes and begins to clean them. There's just a willingness, a desire to just give of myself. It doesn't really matter what it is. I just want to be a blessing to others. There are many of you who are here like that that I don't know or that I haven't had time to speak about tonight, where service is just a natural overflow of the identity of a servant that we carry in our hearts. I'd love, I'd love to, let's learn from each other. Let's learn from Jesus who modeled it for us. This isn't about calling out condemnation on anyone, right? That's why I said to you, I'm not here to tell you to sign up for all the ministries, right? That's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to cultivate in our hearts the heart of a servant because that's who Jesus was. That's how he lived his life. That's what he modeled for us, that we would give our lives for the sake of others. Right, and so we, we're going to move, and I'm going to pray for us now. And as I pray, I'm going, I'm going to pray for, for, for us and those of us who need to repent, because I think some of us need to repent. We've carried a bit of a selfishness in our hearts and an overprotection of our own interests. And I, and I say this carefully because as we are led by the Spirit, there will be times where we do need to say no, and it is okay to say no. Right? But the natural inclination of our heart needs to be, I want to serve. I want to love others. I want to, I want to give of what God has given me to bless others. And we're going to ask for God to release that grace in us, to just give of our hearts willingly to the Lord. Right? Not, and, and God, again, not just here in the church, please. That's not, that's not the way this is all about. This is about every moment of our lives as we live it out, as you're at varsity, as you're at school, as you're in the workplace, as you're in the, your home and your family. You know, I know if I got this right when I was at home, what I would have done is I would have washed the dishes for my mom of my own volition, right? That's what I would have done. It's the smallest thing in the world. Do you know how blessed she would have been? Like, the number of arguments we had because I didn't wash the dishes, because she didn't ask me to wash the dishes. All she wanted me to do was just wash the dishes because I wanted to wash the dishes. Right? It, starts, it starts in the smallest ways. And as we begin to live that out in all the spaces that God has given us, we will begin to store up treasures in heaven and we'll begin to look like Jesus. So let's pray together and then we're going to take some time and we're going to worship in song. And I want you to feel free to respond as God's at work with you in that time. If you need to, if you need to take some time to pray, you're welcome to do that. If you want to ask someone to pray with you, you're welcome to do that. If you want to come and chat to someone, you're welcome to do that. If you feel like God is giving you a word for us as a body that we need to respond to, please come and bring it. If you want to pour out the love and the joy in your heart for your king, let's do that. Let's respond to God together tonight. Jesus, we thank you that you are such a great God, that you modeled such an incredible heart of service, Lord. Yeah, that even when you came as the king of heaven, as the author of creation, you said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. Thank you, God. Thank you that in your heart, even though you were God, you carried this identity of a servant. And God, we desire to cultivate that in our own hearts. We desire that you would do that in us that you would work in our hearts, that the natural overflow of our hearts would be to, to, to offer ourselves up for those around us, 
to lovingly give to others, to, to give out of the strength that you supply and the spirit that you give to us, God. We recognize, God, that some, for so many of us, we battle with a deep selfishness nestled in our hearts. We battle with entitlements. We battle with recognition and just desiring to be praised and honored and safeguarding ourselves and watching over our, our time investments. And Lord, I pray where, wherever, this, wherever selfishness has grabbed a hold of our hearts, because we know that that's not from you. Wisdom is from you and selfishness is not. Wherever there has been selfishness in our heart, God, won't you begin to break that down? Won't you begin to point us towards our King? Won't you just produce in us, God, just a, a willingness to open ourselves up? Lord, where there are things we need to let go of, won't you help us to let go of them? Where our mindset has been wrong, God, and we've seen service as a burden and as something that we begrudgingly give, God, I pray that you, that you pour out over us this recognition, this realization that it is a wonderful opportunity to store up treasures in heaven, to bless the heart of God and to bless those around us and to willingly, lovingly give to them what you've given to us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, that, that by your Spirit these things are possible. That by your Spirit we can live and be in the pattern of service in our lives that we can choose to consistently place others ahead of ourselves and to love them just as you loved us. And we invite you to come and do that, Lord. Won't you continue that work in our hearts now as we begin to sing? Won't you, won't you remind us, God, of your greatness and your goodness as we give you praise and glory and honor tonight? In your wonderful name, Jesus. Amen.